0: Welcome back to the Animator Guild podcast, where we talk about the creative process, respond to audience questions, and explore big ideas which cannot fit into ordinary YouTube videos. What makes an animation successful? What separates the unsuccessful animations from the successful animations? For this episode, we have another special guest joining us. Garrett Ennis is a researcher and vlogger who focuses on how our minds respond to stories and entertainment. His writing has been on the front page of Reddit, and it has been featured in the Sydney Morning Herald, Movie Maker Magazine, and Creative Screenwriting Magazine. His writing is also the focus of a chapter in the book Neuro Design, currently in print from Kogan Page Publishing. However, the way I became a fan of Garrett's writing was through his YouTube channel, Storybrain, This is where he covers an eclectic range of topics, ranging from film, media, and writing, to statistics, science, and psychology, and many more in between. I highly recommend that after listening to this podcast, you go to his channel, binge his videos, and subscribe to him, please, because I have been exposed to so many novel ideas from his videos, and I want you to see them too. So please enjoy my conversation with Garrett Ennis, AKA, Story Brain, Garrett, welcome onto the podcast and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate it. So yeah, I- I've recommended your channel to a lot of people over the years that I've been subscribed to you. I think that's for several reasons. For one thing I have found that are certain preconceptions, I guess that are very common mm-hmm. among animators and animation filmmakers. I consider yeah. myself to be like in the broader sense, just a filmmaker who specializes with animation. And yeah, you think differently to me and to a lot of animators, I think. And I feel like showing your channel to them can break them out of that way of thinking. The sort of, Uh, I'm not sure if it's the right word, but like meta-narrative, ideas about animation. And I think an outsider's look can be really good. I know you've got a background in writing.
1: Yeah, that's how I started trying to learn about movies.
0: Yeah, that specific lens that you use to see media, which often appears to be like from a sort of a more removed point of view, like, was it yeah. successful? And I really like that. I think that's really refreshing.
1: Yeah, I think that it's not only about what does the most money in the box office, but if you force yourself to understand things the way they are, you have no choice but to get past some of the preconceptions you have. Mm. You know, like I, I, when I first started studying stuff, I had a lot of things in mind that I'd heard from other people talking about writing and reading stuff online. And I assumed that those were the things that would make something successful. And I later, you know, I thought just the first thing I thought, for example, was if you write a good screenplay, the movie will be successful. And it was only about whether it was emotionally stimulating to people. So I saw movies come out, and one of them was called Shoot'em Up, and I thought that movie was going to make a lot of money because the screenplay was entertaining and so on, and it didn't make a lot of money. So you, you have the choice to either blame the world And say it's because people have bad taste or, you know, and that's a great way of protecting your own ego.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Or you can change your point of view and look for new things. I think one of the things that helps me is that I'm able to change my point of view without admitting I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's quite an art to that yeah because it can be hard to admit you're wrong we all have our ego tied up in things and we want to feel like we know what's going on but if you can just look at something and say oh that's really interesting and then just walk away from what you were thinking before you end up better off because you at the end of the day you just need to do the right thing you know it helps you to 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 be humble and know you can be wrong but as long as you find one way to switch to a better way of looking at things you're going to be okay
0: yeah i think that's a good starting starting point which is that success doesn't equal Good all the time. Like I was, I've just come from downstairs and I, and there was uh, James Bond on the TV and I was watching it and I was like I was really enjoying it, but I was also aware that it wasn't well. It it was just uh, designed for entertainment and right. it has certain things about it. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of.
1: I don't want to interrupt you real fast. Yeah, did no, you see did. the video? I the video I did with the two James Bonds.
0: Yes, I did. Is that the one where you rewrote the James Bonds?
1: Yeah, I was yeah. doing some movie mashups where you would write yeah. an alternate version of a movie and then visualize it and I love doing it. Yeah. And I worked on it for a couple of weeks, like I worked really hard on that and YouTube didn't show it to anybody <laughs> oh, and man, drove me nuts. Well, that's where, I just,
0: when, when I saw that video of yours, that's when I was like, okay, this guy can can critique but he can also write and I think that is quite rare, like it's, it's kind of easy, you know, the job that I have when I'm reviewing things, it's a lot yeah. easier than actually walking the walk. Yeah, yeah, well done on that, I, I watched it,
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll get back to, th- to the thing you were saying about James Bond in a moment. But yeah, like, cause I started writing screenplays when I was in college and I actually interested a producer in something I'd written before I graduated college cause he came to speak at our school. And part of, a lot of the theories I developed was because, you know, he wasn't able to actually produce anything I wrote, but you know, he became a friend of mine. And part, a lot of the theories I developed was because people told me I was a really good writer and had all this ability. But I couldn't get anything made and I had such a hard time and I didn't understand why it wasn't translating into anything. So I started studying really heavily how people actually react to what they read and what's successful and what's not. And that helped lead me to developing theories about why some things are successful, even if the person may not seem talented or why somebody might seem talented and have a hard time being successful. But anyway, you were saying something about James Bond.
0: No, I think that is kind of what I'm getting round to, which is that it's not always about quality that can be a blessing or a curse because like you said it can be used as a crutch to to not improve and to say well the industry right now you know the the industry all they want is is pulp and and i'm in i i'm making art here and that's why they just don't understand me instead of being like okay maybe i need to go back to the drawing board
1: right and 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 that's one thing when people are students is You want to be good at what you do because that matters after people know about you and you have a certain amount of social momentum with your work Mm. you know once once something's popular and it's all recommended by powerful people and so on then the way we decide what we like is by what seems like a good story because that kind of breaks the tie so I always say to people you want to be good at what you do but recognize that that's only gonna matter once you get recommended and once you get somewhere before you get there it actually doesn't matter that much and people will treat you like like you're not worth anything no matter how good you are and I yeah. spent a lot of time trying to figure out why that was and, and you know figuring out that stuff
0: yeah I mean for, for me the kind of experience that I have where I can kind of relate to what you're saying is with my YouTube channel and we're both in the sort of struggle for for figuring out the YouTube channel and yeah. I kind of gave up on that a little while ago and just said, Me too. Like, <laughs> I will throw mud at the wall and see what sticks, like exactly. because I was just like sometimes I would make a video and I'd be convinced this is the one. like this video will skyrocket. It's yeah. exactly what people want. Right. and I released it, and not really, didn't really go anywhere. And then I've released exactly. another one being like, you know, I just, I want to make this. I know no one else wants to see it, but I'm just going to make it. And sure enough, that those some of those videos, not all of them, but some of them surprise me, and they actually right. get very popular.
1: Right, because the algorithm is a black box, and they deliberately yeah. make it that way. You know, I don't know how to learn about something that's deliberately hidden from me and that they constantly change. Yeah. But I'll tell you something, it's funny. I did a video called, like I had a stretch where they were recommending a lot of my videos, mm. and then they just like randomly cut it off for reasons I don't understand. I did a video called The Real Reason Spider-Man Wears a Mask, and that video has like 350,000 views now. I didn't give a damn about that video while I was making it. (laughs) Like, if you listen to it, I didn't edit my voice. Like, there's points where I, like, swallow, and I didn't edit it out. (laughs) It starts out with a shot of trees. Like just a boring <laughs> shot of trees. Like I, I, I didn't care. like. I, I, thought the point was interesting, but I didn't care as much about it while I was making it. And of course, YouTube recommended that one. I think because it has a good. Like YouTube a good wanted image. to embarrass you. I, I know, know. <laughs> but I think it depends on clickbait. You know, mm. and and I've made clickbait videos, but I don't like it. Well, you, you
0: definitely know? know how to craft a thumbnail and title to be appealing. <laughs> I try. You but, but, You can see know, that from your channel. So I think you've got a good sensibility for it. But but you know when you told me about that in one of the videos, like the algorithm has just switched up on me and I was like, okay, sure, I hear that a lot, but then I don't think, I usually don't think it's true. I took a look at the numbers on your channel and it was like, oh my, that is so drastic. Like some of your videos have, I think one of them, the, the Yoda one has like over a million views.
1: Wet, yeah the wet effect video on special effects yeah. that one has over a million views there's one that has over two million yeah there's the um Marlon Brando video has over a million now and I have other videos that have a couple hundred thousand and like my videos for like the whole last year I'll get like a thousand or less yeah like in the hundreds from that it's crazy I know and and, and part of it was I mean there's a stretch where I didn't upload for six months but that's because my dad died and we were like kind of depressed for a while but I, that may have had something to do with it, but I came back and the, I came back and made a video that was just about humor. I just analyzed a couple memes or something mm. and I'm going down the rabbit hole complaining about YouTube. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to stop myself But after that I made the James Bond video and I had known that the movie mashup videos I had done people found those really interesting and I like to make them so I was like well That'll get people to click on it again because People will click on it and it delivers you know, it pays off on what you expect when you click on it it only got like 2,000 views so from mm-hmm. that point forward I didn't know what to do you know
0: yeah I mean the conclusion also, is is clear which is just consistency just keep the consistency and clickbait yeah well yeah the find the way to make them appealing you know yeah sometimes I do think to myself oh I'm, I'm taking this thumbnail too far you know it's I'm going oh. too far
1: oh my god it, it's ridiculous <laughs> and like But Like yeah, like that James Bond video. I thought that to me was like my idea of a video that could not possibly miss Mm. And I thought people in the UK would really like that video, too but like I said after that I was just like well I don't know because you know I'm just but I but there's two different approaches you can take based on my own research on it So I spent a year making 40 videos to see if it would up my view count and it did but the way it works Here's the way. I think it works it gives you a certain number of views based on how often you upload and things like that, how long people watch, mm-hmm. but it gives all those views to your most popular videos, the ones that people click the most. Right. So it'll up your rating if you upload a lot, but the rating will give all your views to previous videos so you don't actually see your view count go up on your new videos, and that can drive somebody nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've what experienced
0: think, a similar thing.
1: Yeah, and what I think they don't realize, though, is that people aren't really compatible with that. You have to show people a connection between the work they're putting in and a result. You can't like backload it like that.
0: Yeah, it's demoralizing.
1: It is, it's it's terrible. And I finally like threw a mini temper tantrum on Twitter about it because I put up a poll about what people want to see next. And on my other YouTube account, I have my own Storybrain account on notification mm. and it didn't put it on my account. Mm. Like I, I'm on my own notification squad and I didn't get a notification that my account put up a poll. <laughs> Yeah. But but there's two ways I think you can do it now, okay? And this is maybe getting back towards something useful besides me just complaining. <laughs> For me, like I feel like my videos are worth people seeing and I get really good feedback on them. But the amount to which people are gonna take it seriously is gonna depend on how many view how many views it has and who else is showing it, because people judge things that way. I put up a paper a week or two ago where I went into detail on that and how I think people make decisions about what they listen to based on subconscious feelings. And mm-hmm. a, lot of them, a lot of that is social momentum and so on. So I know that for myself, what I say will have a lot more power with people if it has a high view count, or it's somewhere that where a lot of people are seeing it. So you can either satisfy the algorithm, which means basically now, you need to put yourself in the corner of the screen, like with a little mm-hmm. webcam, and read other websites. That's what people do now. <laughs> and I, I've come to start calling it hate news, right, which is a lot yeah. of the channels where people will just pick a topic you don't like, and read news articles about that thing failing or about how much you dislike it and put yourself in the corner and upload three to four times a day, three to five times a day, whatever, and it'll apparently build an audience for you. I don't really want to do that. I'd like for my stuff to each be self-contained and maybe that's just being stubborn because as a writer, I learned that you put all your creativity and talent into something over time, then you put it out and you get an in proportion amount of success. And I mm-hmm. still have a hard time shaking that. I'm kind of like, out of step with the whole social media thing you know because i have like two followers on twitter you probably know that (laughs) and like i think you're like the only guy who supports me on patreon (laughs) yeah yeah, i'm I'm still hanging in there (laughs) yeah i I appreciate that by the way (laughs) but um so i don't really want to change my channel to that but the other way you can do it is you can talk to people who deal in the type of thing you're doing like if you're an animator you can talk to people who deal with animation and stuff and show your work to them and they can hopefully recommend you and then that can work too so what I'm doing this year is talking to a lot of different people who do that kind of stuff and trying to do more podcasts and things like that to hopefully yeah. maybe get recommended that way. Well, yeah, and, I have I, found that
0: niching down is good.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that, that can get somebody to like your work before you're widely known, is if somebody has a specific reason to like it. Yeah. Like if you're an animator and you like my channel because it says some stuff that's useful to animators, but it can also be totally random, you know, like you know, it could be any random reason, but... It, That's what somebody calls, there was a theory about that called, um, what they call the people early adopters. Yeah, yeah. Where they say there's people who, who pick up an idea before other people do. And I noticed that that lines up with what I found, which is that people pick up an idea because they have an additional emotional reason to like it. And then if you get enough of those people together, then other people want to know why you have a cult following. Yeah. And then you can get popular that way. Or somebody who has some influence, likes your video for another reason, and they retweet it. And then people want to know what that influential person likes. And then you pick up an emotional uh, additional momentum that way. So there's other options. So I'm trying that this year and we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think it's good to, to create a few case studies to just see what other people are doing. That being said, I, I'm I'm a bit out of touch because I I have a little plug-in that stops me from getting that recommended bar on the side of YouTube. And before that, that was a really good indicator of like a little window into how YouTube works. Like, oh, right. It's recommended me that. And that's because I watched that. I can tell that, like, I can see the logic there. But now I've turned that off just because it's just too distracting. Like (laughs) YouTube (laughs) is too good at recommending me videos.
1: Yeah. Well, now I think that they just abandoned their whole model to just try to be TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and I, th- I think that, well, I'm going to do a video on that and, and, and you know, I don't want to complain anymore. Let's talk about <laughs> all uh, right, all the right. constructive. I, I mean, I did just want to pull it uh, like
0: just last thing and then, we, and then we'll move on to something more constructive. But like sure. the chess video you did, it was more oh. of just the, the audio, but I found that yeah. fascinating how you said that it's only useful, like these AI algorithms are only useful when you know why. Is that correct? Did I say that right? Um,
1: I have to think back to the video. You have to give me a second. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about. A computer can be, the, com- the chess computer c- computer can be so good that it's useless to you. Yeah. Because you can look at it and you can show it a chess position and it might, if, let's say it's like infinitely powerful. It would just say checkmate in 80 moves. Yeah. And you can copy the moves, but if you don't have that computer in front of you and somebody makes a different move, you can't, you don't know what response to make and you're back on your own. Yeah, and you see that like when you study, like I watch chess tournaments online sometimes, and you know chess doesn't have a lot of fans, but you know I, I find it interesting.
0: I liked the the thing you said about like the recommendations you made uh, about how to make chess popular, giving the, oh. the mid uh, game commentaries and things.
1: Yeah, because they they are uh, they're always trying really really hard to get people interested in chess. Yeah, and I think the problem that they 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 have is that they're always talking about the chess game and like. Some people are interested in the chess game, but if you study ESPN, the way to sell the sport is to talk about how the sport affects the people who play it yeah. and talk about their lives. And people get upset about that. They're like, oh, the, the media who covers basketball, all they want to talk about is you know, drama and this and that, but that's what people want to read. People aren't instinctively interested in the basketball bouncing around or the chess pieces moving. They're interested in finding out who the most fit person in the group is. They're interested yeah. in watching people strive for their goals. They're interested in watching, you know, Battles for dominance among other people. So that's what it is and you can go to the front page of ESPN At any given time and you won't find any information about Basketball or baseball <laughs> strategy. It'll all be yeah. Who will be the star out of the NFL draft this player is going to jail this guy's gonna get traded he betrayed You know this guy walked out on his team. It's all it's all a tool You know somebody yeah. once said it's a male soap opera and that, in a way it kind of is
0: yeah, it's like the human condition is really what what people are most interested in because that's how they can connect to something.
1: Yeah, yeah, and sports is sports and chess and those games are all tools to generate situations that we find interesting for other reasons. Mm, that's you know, an like, interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, they set it, they set it all up so that at the end of the day, you know, one person is is the leader, one person loses, and it's deliberately set up so that people have to compete with each other and you know p- players have to walk out on teams and guys have to be traded and but you can learn so much from it because that's a it's a form of entertainment but it developed in its own way to appeal to people in its own way and it follows a structure. Yeah. Like one of the examples I used was that um okay this is me going back to YouTube but YouTube is making a mistake because the people who run YouTube they might know programming or they to be honest they might not know anything <laughs> because some of them just have their jobs for other reasons if you look at their biographies and they've never done anything creative but they make a mistake that if you study entertainment is like a really simple mistake because they think that if you have an audience then you're the person who's good and they should just appeal to people who have an audience and Mm. I I don't know if you watch you're probably too young to watch professional wrestling in the 90s (laughs) but they made the same mistake with with a company called WCW where they just bought all the stars and just only pushed the people who were already stars on the fans but eventually the fans Everybody who's watching gets sick of those people. And once they lose that, once people don't want to see them anymore, you have to show them something new. Yeah. And if you look at the NBA and professional sports, they've already built that into their model over their decades of developing their product. Every year, they bring in a new crop of rookies. And they promote those people, they, they push them on fans, they let the fans see how they're going to do. So it's built in. And if you don't do that, it's gonna, it eventually hurts you and you, you it doesn't happen quickly but your interest just erodes away over time. And you can see that in the ratings for those companies, and if you look up Google Trends on YouTube, set it to the last 10 years, and you'll see it doing the same thing. Yeah, I think I know most of
0: my knowledge about wrestling from your videos, actually. Oh God,
1: I could do do a channel that's only about wrestling. Don't get me started, I used to. That's what I started out doing. I, I probably have never said that before. Oh no, I did say that once really early on in my channel. I started out writing wrestling fan fictions.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I remember, I remember because I, I did a little bit of like refreshing uh, research before this and yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, that's, yeah. Sure. So, so that uh, brings me on to the next thing, which is that, like... Well, let, me, let me say real okay, quickly yeah. though,
1: that, that can be a good thing though, because it's starting out with something that you like and that you enjoy doing, yeah. and then that, that'll make you do it enough that you learn. So whatever somebody might like somebody might like anime and they want to write their own anime you know if if it keeps you at it and you do it and you have fun you take pride in it i think that's the best thing to do and i think that's a lot easier than forcing yourself to do something else yeah that's a big
0: thing that happens uh, that i hear a lot of with art students basically in in high school especially what tends to be the case is that art students they have these teachers who force them to put down their passion, which is often anime. Uh, That's often like the sort of gateway drug to animation. And they discourage them from pursuing that. Or it could be game design or something like that. And they force on them the pure arts disciplines of like drawing from observation, you know, drawing bowls of fruit and things like that. Painting bowls of fruit. And of course, that's not what the kids wanna be doing. So no. it actually, it's so bad that it actually causes a lot of kids to quit when they're young. Yeah. And yeah. I think if they just, if, if the teachers at that level just learned to channel that passion, like yeah. find a way to, to channel it so that the kids are still learning, but they're learning with, the, with their passion,
1: then we'd, we would have a lot more artists right now. Yeah, and People don't realize children are born naturally wanting to learn yeah so if the kids aren't interested in what they're being shown it's usually because they don't identify as being of any use to them like when you make them sit down and learn mathematics sometimes math can be very useful but if you make them learn long division and things that they don't identify naturally as yeah. having any value to them to them then they want to leave but if you take those same kids and put them outside you know you'll find them playing games learning to play the games looking yeah. under rocks and things and just naturally learning so if we can find ways to match what people naturally want to do with their education we'd be a lot more effective yeah and, and I always tell people like if they're talking about it like writing or starting something I always say write what you want to write make what yeah. you want to make because not only will you have a thousand times more energy and you'll stick at it but you'll have your own voice yeah and the, the more the deeper you go into yourself the more original you'll be and the more you'll find things that are different that other people will connect to emotionally because you're not getting it from somewhere else where it's already popular but you're still getting it from a human being's emotions yeah i'm sure it wasn't a
0: chore for you to write wrestling fan fiction oh no it wasn't you know it it was like (laughs) that's effortless like that is completely like you want to it's like it's inside you and you've got to get it out it's the opposite of a chore you know I, i think a lot of people do struggle to to bring that same level of enthusiasm to a job. But for yeah. me, I've kind of worked out a way of sort of, maybe it's trickery, maybe it's not, but I find a way to bring that passion with me into my commissions that I do. Oh. So that it's like, I'll find one thing about the commission that interests me. Like that yeah, really yeah. genuinely interests me and I kind of grow it out from there so that, exactly, and after that, it's just no effort, you know?
1: Exactly, and I, it's it's weird because sometimes when you when you do that, you'll find out that the person who you're talking to doesn't care about it as much as you do. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. you can you can talk people's ears off about their own project or the thing they wanted to ask you about. Very often, if you find it, to, if you find out what's interesting about it to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you've got to. That's got to be the case, really,
0: because someone's paid you. To go through that struggle for them, like they're not exactly. the one that's struggling through it. They—that's yeah. why they didn't want to struggle through it. That's why they paid you to do it. So, that's how I
1: got my my reading job. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you like, tell us I a would... bit
1: about that that reading job? Sure. Like, I, after I I started writing, I went to school for broadcasting, where I read, you know, did TV news, did journalism, broadcast journalism. Then after that, I moved to Southern California, and I interned at some production companies. I worked as an assistant to. A producer, and he liked me, he thought I was smart, and I could write his emails really well, but he told me that all I wanted to talk about was the screenplays, <laughs> and that I was always like halfway there when he was talking to me. But he knew the um, guy who was the head of the story department at William Morris. I guess they would went to college together, right. or went to film school together. So he, he recommended me to him, and I talked to him and did a coverage for him, and he really liked it. But what I ended up doing was bugging him for about five or six months. Like every, every week or so, I'd send him an email saying, hey, keep me in mind if you need a reader. What happened was there was the writer's strike around that time. Mm. And then when the writer's strike ended, they got a whole bunch of, because the writers never really went on strike. They just, hadn't, they just didn't send in what they wrote. Right. So once the writer's strike ended, they sent a whole bunch of backlog material in as submissions to oh, William Morris. Oh, I see, right. And they were swamped. And at the exact time when he was thinking about that, I happened to email him and say, hey, it's me again. Keep me in mind. Mm. And then he emailed me back and they brought me in to do it. And that's the way things work, is people, it has to take something extra. I've always found that. In every situation in my life, when I went back over it, it matched the stuff that I had worked out later when I was trying to understand what was going on. But the great thing about that job is that it's it's a weird job because it doesn't pay much or anything. But it's a very influential job because you're the first person that the agents or whoever reads your coverage hears about whatever material they got. Yeah. You're the first opinion they hear. And it's also... Uh, a very, I guess, secure job because nobody wants to do it. <laughs> hey, like, yeah, you know, that is secure, I suppose. Yeah, like I had to read a couple books a week at that point, you know, and it was very tiring because I was also working another job. But people would like fight over me because none of them wanted to read any books and they could give it to me and I would read it cover <laughs> to cover. You know, I'd sit, I'd read the whole book and I'd write up a really. Coverage is where you summarize the book in a couple pages or screenplay in a couple pages mm. and then you write comments on it so they can be on the phone and sound like they read it. Yeah, And I would do that, I suppose, from what I was told, I was really good at it and they had me, you know, explain to other people how to do it. And that's one of the great things is that I was willing to do it and nobody else wanted to. So it really helped out. I, mean, I,
0: I suppose some people could find it grueling, but at the same time, it's, it's actually, it sounds pretty good. I don't know if it is
1: good, but it sounds well, it, like it, really interesting. It, it's interesting if you like the book you're reading. And yeah. you and I did the math. You only like the book you're reading one out of 50 times.
0: Uh, are you allowed to, to stop midway through if you think this is garbage? I, I, no. I'm wasting my time.
1: You're not. And what? that's one thing that people get wrong. I did the math. It's actually like one out of 20 times. On average, 95% of things are passes. About 3 to 4% of things are considers where the person should think about it. And 2%. Are recommend, meaning you think they should. But um, on that 95%, you don't want to be reading that thing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and there's no worse feeling in the world than when you open up a, a book that's 900 pages long, and I've done this, oh. and the first line... Is a chore to read. Okay, so it at first no I was, I, I, thought this sounds great. Maybe I should try this. <laughs> now I'm like, we, mm, I'm not sure. But you can try it. Just, just <laughs> find, find a random book on Amazon. They have the most of them have book previews. And not a book that you're interested in, like literally a, a random, random book.
0: Yeah.
1: Like I'm looking at an air freshener that says vanilla. on it. Just look up the word vanilla. And find a book that, that says vanilla in it, and open up the book preview and start reading it and see if you care. And when you get to the point where you not care, when you don't care anymore, just imagine you have 500 more pages to go. Oh. Okay, yeah. What what's the, the best book though? What's the best book the b- you've read? The best book read? I read was The Running Man by Stephen King. All oh, right. You read a and Stephen I, King one and had to Oh, somebody had mercy on me, yeah. But I think he was under the name Richard Bachman when he wrote it. I'm not sure. But I gained a much greater appreciation for good writers. <laughs> and people right. think Stephen King, oh, he just writes popular books. I'm telling you, out of all the stuff I read that was the best book by far
0: well yeah i, mean, I actually i actually no one he, he's the he's the best you know he's like the goat's writer when it comes to actual like sales if you don't well you could argue it's some others yeah. uh, in terms of sheer numbers but he's yeah he's like he's that name where it's like he anything he one. writes is gold
1: yes and just a couple quick things i mean your podcast is for animators so i don't want to go into too much <laughs> writer stuff but um He has a way of writing where he doesn't look at the end. He doesn't know how the story's going to go. So it's really great because he knows exactly what the reader is thinking because he doesn't know where the story is going either. He's a gardener. A gardener? Yeah, there are
0: gardeners and architects with with authors. Architects plan everything out from start to end, and then they fill in the details. Gardeners just plant a seed and watch it grow. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. I've never heard that before. I think George R. R. Martin said that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. It doesn't belong to me, is what I'm saying.
1: It's it's interesting, but um, so you love the story while you're reading it, but he always writes himself into a corner by the end. <laughs> yeah. So you know, if if you read um any of his books, the ending is almost always tacked on, and but it's great until you get there. But yeah, yeah. I don't want to get too That's much into writing That's of how writer, I so. feel like uh, M Night Shyamalan
0: writes his oh. as well, because I I feel like it's they always start off amazingly, and then they the end he's got to like get himself out he's got to dig himself out of a hole
1: he's written himself in well he just stopped caring yeah he he, he would start out like that but he would rewrite the story over and over and over until he got it really good mm. and that was with the sixth sense but then after i did the video on that yeah one, after yeah he did, I, I love
0: that video that's a good video
1: after he did the village people crapped on him because they didn't like the ending but he worked so hard on that movie mm. you can tell i but, personally at, loved
0: the village i thought it I was liked, really good i liked it
1: too i liked it too and it had a couple good scenes in it that yeah. was really good but after that he stopped trying and i think that's just what happened there yeah. But yeah
0: well yeah i want to kind of say to the audience that like because they might be wondering like why did you bring a writer on he's not an animator but <laughs> i don't Let's think they will because i've always been of the opinion that animators should be looking for supplementary skill sets and animation is one of these crafts where it pulls in from a lot of different fields. Like if you wanna make an animation, you're gonna to have to sort of create a story for that animation. So yeah. writing skills is is good for that. But also yeah. like in your videos as well, you do this better than me actually of like sort of opening up a subject into all the different fields it co- goes into like writing, philosophy, sociology, I mean the list goes yeah. on and on. I I listed them out here
1: but I won't list them all.
0: It's really weird
1: because the deeper you drill into something, you end up finding stuff that underlies a lot more things. Yeah. And those things
0: strengthen the the thing that you're trying to make, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you want to have original ideas, you've got to be doing something that is different to your competitors.
1: Yep. Yep. You have to be willing to go pretty far into things and look at the underlying causes and goals of what you're doing yeah you know and the more goals you strip back because i'm doing i that poll i put up that you know youtube only showed it to like 20 people people voted to see the nonlinear storytelling video so that's the one i'm doing now right yeah and in that video one of the key points is that you have to see that it's not that you have to tell the story in order you have to affect the audience a certain way
0: yeah so it's like the, the, there's an emotional sort of through line for the film even if the if the order of the events is different and that's like a separation of plot and story i think
1: yeah and and there's something that's really unique too is is there's a lot of speaking of like creative decisions you have to make in affecting the audience i'll mention something for for animators animators i think have a very unique challenge in front of them which is that they have a very important choice to make when they make when they make a a movie i think this is just interesting to me Yeah, yeah you have to decide are you going to impress the audience, or are you going to convince them that it's real? Hmm. And you know, I think that's such an interesting thing because you have the power to make something that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and people will look at that and they'll say that guy's a really good animator. Yeah. But they'll be thinking about you and not about the story. That's a bit like
0: the difference between like within animation, there are different subsects of animation. And there's animation and there's VFX. Animation right. kind of calls attention to itself whilst VFX tries to be invisible. It tries to right. pretend like it's not there. And yes. that's quite interesting because-
1: That's more about VFX, you're right, than yeah, animation. Yeah, but
0: right. it's it, it, is, it does come under animation as a, as a broader topic. But like, yeah, it's interesting that there was a lot of controversy a while back with the, the technicians, the, the, the company that created Life of Pi, all the visuals for that and how they just were not recognized for their extraordinary efforts, they ended up going bankrupt. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it was a big thing. And I think part of it might have been, like as an overall problem, there are deep economic issues with bid- when it comes to bidding for projects on right. that kind of scale. Uh-huh. But one of the other things is the fact that when a VFX artist does their job well, no one notices.
1: Exactly that's that's and that's a difficult thing because it's yeah. not there's not really a clear answer
0: yeah so i think no? 2d hand-drawn animation we don't have that problem quite as much uh, so um, you do
1: hand-drawn animation
0: yeah i do hand-drawn animation
1: oh my gosh that's that yeah. takes a long time doesn't it
0: yeah i was actually gonna s- just kind of scratch your brain about that because i put out a survey with my audience quite a while back just uh. saying uh it was an open-ended one it wasn't even a questionnaire one it was just a like a, a little text space for you to write some words in, and I said, yeah. "What is your biggest frustration with animation?" And overwhelmingly, the answer that came back, I, I put I put all the uh, sentences into a blender to to see what the most common words were, like in one of those oh, word clouds. clouds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the biggest word by far was time. Yeah, that it just takes too much time to draw out every scene. You know, draw draw it out yeah. frame after frame after frame after frame.
1: Yes. And you have to decide how everything looks. Yeah. Whereas with a director, you can just pick a set that you like.
0: Yeah. Nothing's by one, accident.
1: Yeah. You, know, you have to choose everything. Yeah. There's a great graphic online. There's several of them where you can see how Chuck Jones, I think, is his name, was the, yeah. one of the original Legends. animators. Yeah. He's showing you just a little character who's like a baby bunny, not bu- Bugs Bunny, but a child bunny, and he's he shows it from different angles as a guide to the animators of how to draw the character from different angles. Yeah. And he points. He's pointing to a lot of different things and pointing out that. You know, the character's eyes are really big. She always has her butt poked out like a baby. And he's showing all these little things that make the character cute. And it really shows you how you may not notice it when you're watching, but all those little decisions are part of what makes somebody great at what they do. And that affects you emotionally without you realizing it.
0: Yeah. It's really incredible with those, the old masters, Chuck Jones especially and and yeah. the the nine old men, the Disney's nine old men who are like the most in the animation world, they're like celebrities. But in popular culture, no one knows about them
1: well, but, yeah, like, like like one example real quickly, The Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. yeah. if you change the roadrunner's expression, that's a totally different cartoon, <laughs> yeah because. The Roadrunner doesn't even realize that Wildly Coyote's there most of the time. <laughs> but if you would made it so that he was looking at Wildly Coyote and making fun of him, all of a sudden it's kind of a sad, maybe upsetting thing. <laughs> or, the, or you might even want the Roadrunner to get hurt. You know, yeah. I think people might want the Roadrunner to get hurt just because they get sick of him not getting caught.
0: But or or if the Roadrunner looks terrified instead of just yes. really cool and and like, oh, you know, I can outrun this guy whenever I want.
1: Exactly. The roadrunner doesn't re- most of the time the roadrunner is just being the roadrunner and running around. He doesn't know Wile e. Coyote's there. So you don't you don't fear for the roadrunner or get angry at the roadrunner. You're just watching Wile E. Coyote fail, and that's the main thing you're focusing on. And all those little decisions go into how people react to what they see. And you have to make those, especially if you're an animator because you don't even have actors.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that's missing in animation is is spontaneity. You know, you can't leave the camera rolling and just see what happens like you can in some improv um, shows. So it's it's all a bit contrived. But the way we kind of get around that is we film reference and see what happens. And once, yeah, once I was filming reference with with a group of animators, and it was about, there was this little orb of light, and the character had to reach out and catch the orb of light as it was going. And it just oh. wasn't working. And it was because the person acting had decided where the orb of light was and just oh. reached out and grabbed it. And I said, This isn't working. What we need to do is we need to have someone uh, dangle a little yeah, so chase it. thing and for you yeah. to actually try and chase it because yeah. right now you're not trying to chase it, you have to actually try. And then we found all these interesting things of what, what happens with the weight of the body and things like that.
1: Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. I remember seeing a behind the scenes once, I think it was on War of the Worlds, where they basically were, whenever you have extras in a scene that are running from something and it's a special effect, you almost have to have somebody behind them with a whip Yeah, because, <laughs> because they'll never run hard enough. Yeah. It'll never look right when the thing is chasing them on screen and the effects are all done. Yeah. So you have to drive them. People people can't really tell how they react to something when it's actually there until it happens. Yeah, and,
0: and even with trained actors, you know, like the best method actors, the, the actors that people consider are the best, they're not actually in their head. Well, a lot of the time, like Daniel Day-Lewis, actors like that, what they actually do is they are able to put themselves into a mental state where their brains believe they are in the situation they're in yeah and so they're not
1: is it acting you know is it yeah i don't know if you can call yourself. it that it seems like it's such I'm, i think you can build the performance deliberately mm. but i feel like if you do the method acting style and this is just me from just having listened to some people talk about it i you know wouldn't necessarily be a good actor myself but if you can convince your brain that it's real you get all these little things. and I have a video that I haven't, haven't made yet that's been in my folder for a long time about micro expressions and all the little mm. things people do that they don't realize that they do. Yeah. And if you convince yourself that it's real, then all of that comes out naturally and I'm sure it makes it much easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say a, a thing from one of your videos just because it's kind of like my opportunity to talk yeah. about certain topics that I've seen in your videos. And one of them is you made a really good uh, video on effort ratios, which I thought was quite a yeah. novel idea. And yeah. so I, I don't know if you of, want to out summarize out it or if
1: I should. <laughs> um, well, I'll just say it really quickly. Yeah it's 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 a very different thing because i know you wanted to ask about whether it was easier for animators than it was for writers yeah 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 it it definitely is easier for animators the world is a very different place now than it used to be Mm. but um because now people can look at stuff online but if if you are trying to get people to see what you have to offer you don't have to just you don't just think about what you're showing them you think about what they have to put into seeing it yeah and there's certain jobs where you can get noticed easily like so easily that you don't even have to try like models usually get approached before they even audition or or try to come into model yeah because
0: all you have to do is look at a model to know if they're a good model or not
1: right and i've auditioned to being a model for being a model without even realizing it (laughs) because i remember in college they had a modeling troupe and we would be sitting in the lounge watching TV and people would walk up and just look at your face really closely. <laughs> and I realized they were from the modeling troupe. but I think oh. I'm a pretty good looking guy, but I guess I didn't pass the audition that day. Oh no. Maybe I should have shaved. <laughs> but um, but it, that's the thing is you can be considered for those things so much easier. But then I realized that if you're writing a book, nobody wants to read the book you wrote, even if it's good, you know, like yeah. it just takes too much effort. And, and that's where I started to say, okay, it takes months and months of bugging somebody to get them to read it and then on top of it their reaction is twisted by all these things so to me Mm. i just had to find another way to do it and i you know i fortunately felt like i was able to take another part of what i did which was studying what made it work and then turn that into something that people could watch in a bite-sized way yeah now if you're an animator you can it's, it's a obviously youtube now favors a lot of easier ways to get people to click yeah But if you just need to have something that people can use to see your work, you have a totally different set of options available to you now where you can just send a link to people where they can click on it and see it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the view count on it is going to affect what people think of it, which is part of the nature of the beast, you know. But you can hide the view count now, I think. I'm not sure, but... Really? I think so. Some channels... I know you can hide your subscribers. I don't know if you can hide... I wouldn't Uh,
0: do that anyway. I would just... Yeah, I I think you got to just try and and you've also got to expect that in the beginning it's not going to get many, but you or, have or to any. Yeah, like they say that your first 1000 subscribers is the hardest and oh, from there it it just gets progressively easier because it's a snowball effect. Uh like I mean, what you've been it, saying. It used to
1: be. Yeah. But YouTube stopped that snowball. YouTube has a way of stopping that snowball cold for re- and not telling you why. I just know that for me, you know, a a lot as a larger channel, mm.
0: it's like I barely have to do anything to get a slow trickle of subscribers coming in.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: I don't, I don't have to work hard for that now. Whereas in the beginning, I would have had to, like, that would have been crazy. Like, for me to yes. get, a, uh, you know, one subscriber a day would have been amazing. You know, I would have yeah. been like, whoa, I've hit the jackpot here. Yeah, yeah.
1: But the mm. more you but the more you get the more you want of so course, yeah you, you can never be that be that happy yeah, it's but a bit I mean the mirage yeah yeah I'm, I'm really happy for people now though because when I was I mean first of all when I was in TV news back in college we did like things were changing so fast that the editing equipment that we use literally switched during the year like we first started out doing tape to tape where you had to play on one tape and hit record on another to make your edit yeah. then by the end of it we were doing nonlinear editing which you know on the computer mm. But I mean now, you know you can do all that editing yourself and you can send stuff out to people. So if you're an animator or something similar, it used to be that you had to be hired for people to see your work and then you yeah. weren't legitimate if you weren't. Now you can go straight out to an audience. So the world, even if it's upsetting at times how things shake out on social media, the world is still so much better for anybody who's in, in entertainment than it was before. Yeah. So that's at least something to be optimistic about. I used
0: to, I used to say to myself that mm-hmm. Uh, when i get to a studio or when i create my own studio i'll do this when i create my own studio this is going to happen you know thinking about this sort of idealized studio environment with lots of people in an actual brick and mortar place but i kind of realized that like i am a studio you know and you are a studio you can it now a studio is localized it's self-contained into one person you've got you've got all the tools you need you've got the adobe software or whatever you use i you don't use adobe or camtasia <laughs> you do, okay you use camtasia that
1: that will change soon i think <laughs> yeah anyway francis ford coppola said i'll tell you some things that are interesting yeah my favorite way to look somebody up is to just look at whatever they wrote themselves because mm-hmm. you can learn so much more about people and one of the sites i used to be on was francis ford coppola's site one and, of my uh,
0: favorite directors of all time yeah, he had a. Couple, sure.
1: i'll tell you two good quotes from him one of them was being famous isn't enough after you already are. What you want is to do something you're truly proud of. Mm. He never said that in an interview. He said that in a post on his website, on his message board. And I always remembered it. Because he was this big famous filmmaker, and if you're in any kind of filmmaking, that's one of your goals, right, is you want people to know who you are and respect Mm -hmm. your work. And he was unhappy at that point because he was working on a movie a really ambitious movie, but that he never actually got produced. I think it was called Megalopolis. Hmm. But that—that's the quote he said. He said, "Being famous isn't enough after you already are. You want to do something you're truly proud of." Yeah. And for some of us, it's the opposite, right? Like we're proud of what we do, but hell, I want somebody to see it. <laughs> oh you know? uh, yeah, I had thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. But another, another quote he has—the other quote he had, which is the reason I brought it up—was he said, "This was like in the 70s or 80s." One day in the future, the kids of the future will be entire movie studios in their backpack. We'll have entire movie studios in their backpack. Mm. And he was one hundred percent right. but yeah. but even more than that, you have it in your pocket now. I mean, I bet you can do video editing on your phone, and have yeah, like too you much can. yeah, so that's that's really impressive. and that that reminds me of another quote, I, I might have used it before. Beethoven foresaw YouTube no oh, way. Right. If you look at Beethoven's letters, I used it at one point in a video. He said, he said there needs to be a single art warehouse in the world where everybody can bring what they create and take take whatever they want back wow. you know that's just great stuff you find when you dig through people's yeah. you know stuff you've written in the past and you know what like
0: with animators mm. it's a huge advantage for them like they are on their home turf with YouTube animation is is video it's audio-visual experience writing right. is this a tougher job to adapt writing to video or, oh, I was really yeah. depressed about that. Yeah, I mean you've managed it you found a way as a writer and a sort of
1: uh, You know and a kind of ideas guy. I like to think yeah I mean, I, I, I was I had a moment where I was like I spent all this time learning to do this and it's the only thing You can't put on YouTube <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: I did figure. Yeah, try to figure out a way well, a way you've to actually do that
0: you had to learn editing skills to do it
1: right? yeah yeah fortunately i started doing that in school and um and i had done reading the news and done a little bit of journalism so i had done a little bit of work with my voice so i was able to do that and kind of work on it a little bit yeah. and, and get it to the point that well my only goal with it was just for my limited editing and speaking ability not to get in the way of what i was trying to say yeah, yeah. and since nobody complains about how bad the editing is or how bad my voice is i guess that's that succeeded yeah i mean i
0: struggled a huge amount in the beginning to speak um to the camera and i still do you know i still when i turn on the camera i get i get shy and then i've got to like shake it out of me like physically uh sort of or, or sort of like raise my voice and say something and i've got to do all
1: that stuff as well but i do I remember back to when it was a real struggle my first video is so funny to listen to like i don't listen to it now well, I sound totally different than I did, like, 20, 30 videos later. <laughs> I think that when you listen to yourself for the first time, it's hard because you notice all the little things. You, you critique yourself. Yeah. You know, and you see, like, oh, I don't sit up. Like, in my case, I have bad posture. I tried to fix that. And like, I don't sit up straight. I sound shy. And those are really the things that are bothering you. So, like, I used to hate listening to my voice. But after I worked on it and started projecting more and sounding more confident, now I don't care anymore. Yeah. And I think sometimes I, sometimes I even like it. I've had some videos, like... I did a video, the video I put up like a week ago or two weeks ago, it was the one on um, She-Hulk, it was two weeks ago. The, the thing I'm most proud of in that video is the way I say thanks at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, the ending thanks you always do. Yeah, Yeah, like I, I want it to sound, this is a ridiculous thing to bring up, but like <laughs> you want to have a certain tone of finality to it, but you want it. You, you want your voice to sound deep and attractive. So I was like, my voice, that thanks was perfect. Like I wanted to copy that onto the other one. <laughs> you just so copy and paste it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the stuff I noticed in my videos, really.
0: Yeah, I'm, I just, my thing for it is just, focus on the content of like yeah. what's being said instead of how it's being said and I just do that
1: yeah I mean to me it's just a matter of being energetic and genuine yeah sometimes people this is just a voice thing there's some people who they yell when they talk mm. and they do it because they want to be energetic and that makes them sound less shy but it's actually exhausting to listen to when somebody's <laughs> yelling to you like that yeah and there's other people who have low energy and they just talk the way they really feel so it's genuine but it's not engaging because if somebody doesn't care about what they're saying then you don't care either.
0: Yeah.
1: So the trick is to find the inflection in your words that comes from having your real feelings involved and caring about what you say. And you just have to practice it. I used to just talk to myself constantly and I still do it now. And that's kind of how I retrained the way I spoke. Mm. To, and You know, and that might help people. Now, there's a third thing to it, which is to try to sound attractive, too, which is to try to have, like I said, a deep voice, whatever. I can't do that.
0: I feel like that could backfire, though, because then someone could be like, oh, he's trying to sound attractive.
1: Yeah, you don't wanna you don't wanna fail at that. But I can't I can't do it. I can only do energetic and genuine. I can't do energetic and genuine and attractive. Yeah. I only pulled it off in one video and I and I and and that's it. Other than that, it's just energetic and attractive is all I can do. Other than that I sound like a hyperactive seventeen year old and that's just it.
0: Yeah, I I wanna ask you another question. So you've talked before about the film business not 100% being a meritocracy. We've kind of covered that a little bit. There are other ways. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There are other ways that filmmakers get a lot of success other than just being good and making good movies. That's kind of recap. But what do you think some of the main traits are or, or the main habits a filmmaker can have that affect
1: their success? Well, the path that makes somebody successful, well, starting from if nobody knows who you are, yeah. And this is something I've always, like, there's a couple things I've kind of dreamed about doing, right? All One right. of them is I'd love to do a speech to acting students or film students about how to go from being a student to being a famous director or being a famous actor. Yeah. Because if you look at what students ask, that's what they want to know. And there's nothing wrong with it. But, you know, if you're <laughs> in school, the, how do I be successful is the main question they want. And that's what I want to do because I think I could give the best presentation they'd seen. And I think I could actually have kids at the end of it be like, oh, I feel like I know what I need to do now yeah so if you start from nobody knowing who you are it's a matter of getting in front of somebody you want to be good okay so that later when people know you you actually actually think you're good and they want to watch even you. that part in it itself is, is oh, quite a that challenge takes, That takes years <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that takes years I kind of gloss over that a lot but that <laughs> takes years and you want to listen to your teachers that's something you always want to say yeah but recognize that you need to get your work in front of somebody who's going to like it for some special reason mm. and you know if you, whatever it is you like to do if you like if you make an anime that's about I don't know someone traveling to the moon maybe you happen to have somebody who works in, in, who has who runs an animation an animation studio who loves the moon landing or something yeah. find those people i would say to kids find those people and always be aware of that and then and if somebody doesn't like your work recognize that that has no effect whatsoever on whether or not it's good yeah absolutely and one of the th- one of the things i found out recently is that i did a video on why how albert einstein became popular because it's one of the best tests of this idea is if if it's about how good it is. You know, Albert Einstein is the best scientist ever to most people, and if his work got ignored, then all of us can get ignored and none of <laughs> us have to worry about it. Yeah. Einstein, when his theories were proven, the editor of the New York Times was a mathematician who didn't like Isaac Newton. And that's why he got so famous. The, the, the New York Times made it a... was The guy who edit, was the editor of the New York Times was on a crusade to show that Isaac Newton's theories weren't true. And Einstein came along at the perfect time. So if you're a student, get as good as you can, but don't worry about it if you struggle. It's not a reflection on, on you or your character or who you are. It happens to everybody. It happened to Beethoven, Einstein. Isaac Newton used to hide his work. It happened to the woman who wrote Harry Potter. It happened to Quentin Tarantino. Leonardo DiCaprio went to 100 auditions and got rejected every time. He was going to quit. So I didn't know that one. Yeah, I, I, I keep track of all this stuff. I keep, keep tons <laughs> of note files. Whenever something, I see something that fits with what I'm talking about, you know, I, I keep track of it. Luciano Pavarotti, who's this really famous opera singer, six years. He just sung in like nightclubs. Nobody paid him until a, someone, a woman came along and said, I need a tenor, a singer who's taller than me to stand next to me. And he happened to be tall. And that's why he got his first job. And now everybody thinks he's the best singer ever, but that didn't get him hired. It's like, like he, the the quote, the, the harder I train, the luckier I get
0: or something right. like that.
1: Yeah. So what you want to do is be good and look for people who will like you for a special reason and try to get in front of all those people. And then, when you do, if you don't get accepted, just recognize what it is and how the thing works. So you have some measure of sanity the whole time. And I think that would help kids out a lot.
0: Mm. You know, I think also
1: get- the thing we uh, touched on earlier, which is niching down.
0: Like you know, if you if you want to be a story time animator, which is a a kind of uh, sub genre of animation that people will know. If you want to do that you're you're going into a very saturated market there are a lot of panels like that and it just means it's harder for you to stand out if you have a a really pinpointed accuracy like if there's a very particular subject but it's it's one that you know there are people out there who are crazy about it and it should be probably something you're crazy about too i think it's hard it's a lot harder for you to do if you're not if you're if you're trying to tap into an audience that you're not part of.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, you can't, it's not gonna be authentic. Yeah,
0: so no. think about uh, a, a specific thing that you like and then oh. m- make an animation for that thing and, and do a series, you know, in in photography, there's this convention that we don't really have in animation and the convention is that if you take a nice photograph of something, like let's say you take a photograph of a sailing yacht and people uh-huh. really like it, or, or you you notice that it's a good picture. You do uh-huh. a series of it. You do like a collection of photos mm. about that thing, and then that kind of gathers an audience of yacht enthusiasts
1: or yep. whatever. Yep. yep, and they want to know. And that, that that pattern follows in everything. It follows in everything. Facebook yeah. started out among Harvard students, yeah. And the Harvard students liked it because I guess it was a way for them to meet other kids at Harvard without having to talk to them in person. Yeah, and. spread from there once you get people once you get the niche people liking what you do then you can tell other people I have this audience and then they want to then they think you're legitimate because of that and that's how you get your momentum going and that's kind of how somebody's career goes and I know that because you know like this is one of the things that keeps me sane I had the the one video you mentioned of mine that has a million views the one about uh, VFX yeah that was on the front page of reddit and that one video being on the front page of Reddit, that video got covered in all kinds of places in a bunch of different languages, yeah. and it was like it was on the it was the cover of that's the thing I'm really proud of. It was it was there was a splash page in the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia, no way, or at least on the site, yeah, in the entertainment section about the Weta effect, cool. and they they basically just rewrote my video, but I don't <laughs> mind, I don't mind that because they linked they linked to my video too, oh, and right. that that showed me that. Once you have the social momentum or whatever going along with it, then people can see if it's a good idea or not, and that gave me some confidence. Even if YouTube won't, or you know, even if I'm struggling now to, to get people to hear what I have to say, I know if I'm successful at it, it can take off with people after that. People seem to respond to it, which I'm really happy about because I yeah. wasn't sure if they would.
0: Yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, in, the one thing I'd say as encouragement, <laughs> while you're in this kind of phase of like the video is not doing as well as you'd like them to, to be is that you never know when you're at the foot of the curve if it's right. a graph you you can't tell that you're at the foot of the curve so it could be right around the corner
1: and you just don't know yeah i've put other videos myself on reddit that suddenly you know will get 50 60 70 000 views out of nowhere too reddit can do that things can happen for you at any time you never really know who's watching that's an exciting thing about the way the world is too you know as long as you're putting
0: your stuff out there. Yeah, the unpredictability of it keeps it entertaining, keeps it fresh. Yeah. yeah. So, another question, what sure. are some of the biggest mistakes that you see first-time writers or, or just oh storytellers <laughs> making, like, pe- okay. I, I want to expand it to storytellers because animators definitely fit within storytellers.
1: Okay, I'm going to walk to the ocean and try to just get you one bucket. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I have, this gi- your answers down. I have this giant graph that I, that I keep, okay, and I haven't done any videos on it yet but it, it summarizes just about everything I know about writing. And there's some basic steps that you do. One of them is people need to connect to it, so it needs to be logical, and it needs to not be insulting to them. Mm. The second step of it is that... The second I want to say this, graph. I'll show it to you if you want. <laughs> the second step of it is that it needs to have a plot. People need to have a reason to want to watch it. Okay, And then after that, you need to give people a new idea about the world. You need to confirm things that people want to be true and so on. Okay, The reason why I bring this up is that new writers fail at step one Mm. most often their work is either completely unbelievable or it's arrogant and puts you off describe arrogant what do you mean by that oh my gosh um that's a good question you can pick up it's uh, people call it being pretentious they call it purple Mm. prose is it like a lack of respect for the audience's intelligence Well, I haven't done the video yet and why everybody thinks their mixtape is fire. (laughs) I want to see that. I'm I'm really worried that I'm one of the people you're talking about. (laughs) I I, I have a SoundCloud account. If you've been doing it for a long time, you probably aren't. Because (laughs) one of the key things of it is that the sense of accomplishment you have from doing your first work is you can't tell the difference between that and your work actually being good. (laughs) It's, it, it gives you the same feeling. The feeling of I did this. I'm now a writer, or I'm now a musician, or whatever else feels exactly the same as my music. Part of my music works really well, mm. but um, because of that, people will make a, a, a write something or put something out that doesn't work for anybody else because it feels great for them. So they can't tell. Mm. So when people are new, you want to make sure you have something that people can connect to emotionally and that makes sense logically. And you want to remember that. It's about you giving from your own emotions, but you need to put it out to the audience. And you, the audience can tell if you have a sense of arrogance when you watch something. And the second thing is that once people get somewhat experienced at storytelling and they can tell a story that makes sense and that doesn't take off the audience. Because people will disconnect if they sense that there's a threat to their ego or their reputation or whatever. Mm. Once people will connect to your story and it makes sense, then people forget to have a plot. Mm. So the next step of it is once you can have people connect to your story then they need a reason to watch and that means your characters need to actually be doing something and that doesn't happen very often when people are new writers very very often they'll be walking around their character will walk around and do nothing your character has to have a goal they have to be trying to do something you have to have a question there has to be something that the audience is waiting to see yeah and and if people if you don't have that, and people don't have a reason to be interested in you, because as always, they're taking in all these things, people will walk out of the theater. Yeah. And if you go to a film, st- if you go to a film festival, you'll see that there's a lot of movies where people will just get up and walk out very early. Yeah. And that so people will have a story that that's logical and so on, but then they'll forget to have a plot. And so that's like the next level of development as as a storyteller is you get people to connect, then you have a plot. And yeah. the funny thing is, that's it. <laughs> that's it. All my in all my years of studying this, the whole theory of writing that people have developed <laughs> to this point is just those two and a little bit of the other stuff about you want to have a life, a lesson that people connect to. You know, you want to confirm people's yeah. beliefs, but 99.9% of what you see is just a matter of being logical, not being threatening and having a plot. There you have it. And, it, and if you do that, people will give you a good review, even if they didn't, even if you didn't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. and this is a good thing of watching yeah. a whole bunch of movies, including ones that aren't good. you can see where the formula breaks down. Yeah it's like you know how they have the atom smashers in physics. Sometimes when you break things, you find out how they really work. Yeah,
0: that's how I learned. I learned a lot from going to film festivals and, and I was a lot of the time I was attending to some, kind of support the release of my own film. Yeah, but I would see you know when you go to a short film festival, you watch maybe a hundred short films in yeah. that day. So you, and not all of them are good.
1: Yep, and, they're, they're all over the place.
0: Yeah, so some of them are amazing and some of them are very sort of uh, boring or like you said, pretentious. But I think, you know, I think the thing that is more likely to be the case with a lot of listeners, what I tend to see a lot of the time, I'm not going to call anyone out, but it's a lot of the time, it's just a fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> like that is as far as they consider it for the story. Like and
1: beginning, middle and end.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great shame because you don't have to stray that far from just a plain hand to hand combat fight scene to make it interesting. All you have to do is just work in a little bit of a a goal you know like yeah. cuz Jackie Chan has managed to do some of the most riveting like amazing visually comedic stories that are so much fun to watch and he just and but a lot of it's fight scenes but he just works in a little bit of i suppose plot and a little bit of story yeah they're fighting they have to be fighting for a reason yeah they has to be fighting for a reason with his films it's also very conventional stuff like you don't need to be intimidated by, oh, I've got to make a story around this. It has to oh. be really original and novel. Like, you can just make it like if you read the plots of Jackie Chan films, they are quite standard in yeah. the, the way the protagonist is written and the way the antagonist is
1: written. Yeah. And you get other things out of it yeah because so he can he can deliver you you the, the the character might not be original but usually the action scenes are yeah or, or other things that happen are so you get
0: something new out of that yeah he'll often give himself yeah. like one limitation like i always remember yeah. this fight scene he did where he was handcuffed to a briefcase yeah and that would that was the limitation so he had to use the briefcase in the choreography and like just giving yourself a, a small even a small limitation like that or a large limitation like maybe he's on stilts or there's one where he's lost all his clothes and he's trying to cover up his dignity while he's fighting off bad guys, you know? (laughs) But that's one of the funny things about creativity. You've heard about writer's block. Of course. Yeah. I'm no stranger to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It happens. I found that it happens because you're usually in the same place, looking at the same thing, trying to come up with a new idea, Mm. but that's not really the way the brain works. Our brain doesn't generate new ideas. It Mm. only links between things that you feel and see and other things you felt or seen or things that have something Mm. in common with that. So like you might see a bottle of water and then you might think of the ocean, then you might think of ships, then you might think of, oh, maybe I should take that cruise that I meant to take a cruise on. Mm. And that's the way your brain works. So if you start with the same stimuli, you start with the same things all the time, you'll only end up at the same conclusions. So the trick really is, and this is similar to what you'll hear in improv comedy and things, is you have to look at something new. So people will often say, if I need to come up with a new idea, I'll go for a drive. Mm. And that's what actually happens is you you think about other things. And then when your brain links back to what you were thinking about, it does it from a new direction and forms a new connection. Yeah. And then you end up coming up with new ideas. So what you want to do is start with something that's unrelated to what you were trying to think about. And then just think about that thing and follow it. And it feels like you're going away from what you want to be thinking about because it's you're thinking about different things as you follow that new path of thought. Like I'm looking at a bottle of water, I'm thinking about the ocean, I'm thinking about going on a ship. But you'll usually end up linking back to the thing you were trying to have a new idea about in a new way.
0: Yeah, that going for a drive thing is pretty interesting, because that's like a routine activity that you can pretty much do on autopilot. And and people have a, have a lot of trouble with sitting there doing nothing. And I mean like Doing absolutely nothing, like they'll turn on the TV, they'll turn on the radio, they'll listen to music. I'm no different. I I can't just do nothing, but yeah. like have taking a drive, it's doing something. It's justified, yeah. but there's that the kind of back of your brain, figuratively, yeah. the, the back of your mind can can be working away in the background doing things.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, what
0: what are or is a book that you've recommended or related to what we okay. do?
1: okay i have a small handful of stuff that was really influential to me when i first started reading stuff i wouldn't read the beginning of books so just because i recommend a book doesn't mean i've read the whole thing <laughs> okay but that's that's just me being honest okay when i first started reading when i was really young i would just open up and start reading random pages in a book but one example is a book called lucy the beginnings of humankind and if you look that up that book is I don't know, it came out maybe in the 70s or 80s but it's about them discovering the oldest fossil that they had ever found to that point of a you know an early person now what I remembered about that book was in the back section of that book they have a a a couple pages where they describe how humans came to have the relate the type of romantic relationships they do today having one mate you know being Mm -hmm. together for maybe six or seven years and getting bored with each other usually having a limited number of children all of that and they describe the whole thing logically starting from just the situation people were in when they evolved and I had never heard anything like that before in my <laughs> life and I was maybe I think I was probably 13 years old when I read it and not only had I never thought about that I had, I didn't know you could think like that I didn't know you could describe human nature like that that affected me for the whole rest of my life I'll, I haven't looked at that section of the book in maybe 10-15 years but I bet if I go back and find it and read it it probably sounds exactly the way I talk now mm, okay I'm definitely getting that one yeah. yeah and, must and, be and good whole, if you can recall it from that long ago. I, I it it affected the way I thought about everything. I didn't realize that you could just look at things logically and understand the way people worked. That must like that changed my whole perspective on the whole world. Wow. And there's a site that if you want if you want to learn about writing, there's a really good site called Word Player uh, by Terry Rossio. And Terry Rossio wrote Pirates of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He wrote uh, nice. Lone Ranger, he wrote Godzilla, he wrote Shrek, I think. Nice. All those movies and that's the site that made me want to get into screenwriting. It was that and Quentin Tarantino and, and William Goldman. But that that site is the first site I read that showed me that you could understand screenwriting logically.
0: All right. I will yeah. link that in the in the notes below if I remember to. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. I will.
1: Yeah, I posted I posted a whole bunch of stuff on his site. They said I was posting way too much actually. <laughs> but um yeah, that's a great site. Another person who had a huge effect on me was a guy named James Randy and R-A-N-D-I, James Randi, and he had a site called James Randi Educational Foundation. And the interesting thing about James Randi is that he's a magician, or he was a magician, and he had a million dollar challenge. And the challenge was if anybody could demonstrate a paranormal effect under in a laboratory or with him watching, he, they could get a million dollars, and nobody ever claimed it. What? And that was that was the first time in my life I was like, wow, like maybe the world is a rational place, and all these things that you hear about that don't make any sense might not actually be true. <laughs> And I think I was maybe eighteen or nineteen when I started reading his blog on his on his on his site, and that had a huge effect on how I thought about the world. Like it cleared out so many crazy things I used to, I guess, believe or, or wasn't sure if they were true or not. Like I used to think the world was going to end in two thousand <laughs> because people, everybody said that, and there were so many news stories about it. and I thought it was true, you know. And then when nothing happened, <laughs> yeah, it shocked me. Or I don't know if it shocked me, but you know, it. it It's the kind of thing that makes you realize that, okay, you know, maybe some of that stuff is is really is nonsense. Was that
0: because of the uh, computers or was it because of some kind of fate uh, thing?
1: There were a lot of it was it was the thing ticking over to 2000. Yeah. yeah. But um, the way we keep dates, that doesn't really have any significance because we just (laughs) randomly started the calendar. But because it was ticking over to 2000, people were convinced that the world was going to end in one way or another. And I read all these (laughs) prophecies. But when it didn't happen... Huge 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 effect on my life and how I thought about things. And that showed me also that our mind is incredibly powerful and understanding the world as you see it in front of you, before you listen to anybody else's opinion about it, is, is really powerful and important mm. too. But you know, that that affected me a lot. And to see that and, and read that guy's site, James Randy's site, and how nobody ever claimed that, that money he had out there. Yeah. It showed me a lot about our ability to understand the world by just looking at it looking at what's in front of us. And I bet in two thousand twelve, when the Mayan prediction whatever people were saying about the Mayan yeah. prediction the mayans didn't necessarily predict that i think that that's just where their calendar ends in 2012 <laughs> right but i think when nothing happened then a lot of people probably changed their point of view too so that probably had a really positive effect on the world it's funny that like the the
0: these uh, people who predict the end of the world you know they get ready for a certain date and they're telling everyone and then inevitably <laughs> it I'm... gets to that point in time and nothing happens and yeah. the the interesting thing to me is seeing seeing what they do about that like yeah. they were so convinced
1: what kind of excuses convincing they seeing
0: themselves and convincing each other and then seeing okay like, what do they do now and that yeah. to me is fascinating seeing like their their brain is working like crazy to to come up with some kind of justification and yeah like, well maybe at this date or whatever
1: there's a great list online it might be on wikipedia of people predicting the world was going to end i yeah. think it's like predicted apocalypses or something and it just shows you like over the middle ages they just went through every book and writing and <laughs> scroll that they could find and people just contributed to it i guess till they have this huge list just starting from like the year zero the le- where people thought um that the apocalypse from the bible was supposed to happen within their lifetime so it was supposed yeah. to be like the year 50 then the year 100 then the year 500 whatever and it's this huge list of people predicting the world was going to end and that shows you that those predictions have been happening for a really long time but let me give you another book yeah please it's adventures in the screen trade by william goldman that book i read when i was a little older so i actually read the whole book adventures in the screen trade by william goldman it's a great book he's a great writer he wrote the princess bride oh yeah i like that and he wrote butch cassidy and the sundance kid oh great Nice. And he wrote *Misery*, the, the the adaptation of the Stephen King book oh, *Misery*. that's where I know him from. Yeah, Butch Cassidy yeah. and the Sundance Kid. Yeah. And he died last year, I think, or a year before last. That book is absolutely fantastic. He talks about his experience becoming a screenwriter, and he talks about. The different screenwriting jobs he had in the 70s and he was the guy who they went to to write everything so you got to learn about what Hollywood was really like then at least for screenwriters and it's really fantastic and that's the that's the origin of the phrase nobody knows anything which I use way too often <laughs> and I need to find a new phrase to put in there or something else to say that book is great he wrote another book called which lie did I tell more adventures in the screen trade all right I've definitely had to I, I think I took a
0: course um, from Aaron Sorkin and then Aaron Sorkin talked about William Goldman as being his mentor so he's like my writing teachers writing teacher
1: yeah I did cool. a video on the movie Steve Jobs
0: oh yeah yeah
1: it's, it's about he... yeah. You know, I'm not gonna say anything else about that <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, yeah wasn't that video like so it was like why Steve Jobs failed or something like that why the why it's why nobody went to see the movie in ah, my opinion. Just in I my watched opinion. it on an airplane so even I didn't go and see the movie but I liked the okay. movie I watched the whole movie. Somebody got me um, the biography of Steve Jobs for Christmas, and I read the first part of it. I read up until Apple starts getting really famous, because that's the part of the biopic I usually like to read. Right. I like to read up until the person starts getting really popular. <laughs> and, and it was really fascinating. And, and Steve Wozniak, by the way, is, is a genius. Yeah. If you want, he, he's the... he, did, yeah. he did a talk about how I, he, he did some, some seminars, I think it's colleges, about how he learned to program. Everybody should watch those, because even if you're not a programmer, the way he learned programming is the way you should learn anything you want to do in life. Because he talks about how he learned everything from scratch because he loved it, and he any part that he found, he would take computers apart, and he wanted to know how every part worked. Yeah. And he learned so much about it that by the time he built the Apple computer, people told him it was the best computer they'd ever seen, because he learned everything from scratch. And he, and he ended up understanding it in a way that people most people never learn to understand anything because they don't take it from that level. And there's a funny thing about that. You almost start slower than other people because you're learning everything that everyone else just takes for granted. But mm. you end up being able to do the thing at a higher level than most people would be able to do because you spot all the things that people who learn it, who just take it for granted won't realize. Mm-hmm. And and they won't realize you can do things differently if you learn writing from just taking things for granted, you'll never know that you can tell a story out of order. Yeah. You know, you have to look at it from the bare bones up and you know, there's so many different things you can learn to do that, that work that way. Like I used to pay my bills by playing online poker and a lot (laughs) of the best, a lot of the best poker players, if you listen to interviews, they say, I never read a book on poker. I just learned everything from scratch. That's quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the best way to learn anything. That's, um, Reminds me of a
0: thing that, you know, Citizen Kane. uh, I can't remember the name of the cinematographer, but Uh, Greg Toland. All right. Yeah. Apparently he, he would bring apprentices to work with him on films and he would insist that I might be distorting this a little bit, but the essence of it is, (laughs) is there. he would, he would insist that the apprentice knew nothing about cinematography. Because then the, they would have none of the kind of uh, limiting ideas that professional cinematographers yeah. would have. They'd have to see it and they would see it in a different light. They would say, oh, yeah. why don't you just move this lever over here and it would solve the
1: problem? Things like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way I, I tried to learn everything. It's funny because when you start working, reading scripts or reading books, they don't really give you any advice about what to look for. Because they don't have time they just they just need somebody to look at and say if it's good or not So they just say tell if it's tell us if it's good or not And they just toss it to you and tell you to leave and come back with the coverage But that forces you if you're really interested in it to learn it from scratch. Yeah So, you know the the fact that they don't care to show you anything about It's kind of the best thing that, that the best learning environment you could have
0: that is the end of part one, the second half will be out on the channel soon, so make sure to subscribe and hit the notifications icon for when part two comes out. The link to Storybrain's YouTube channel will be in the description. Please check out his amazing channel, it's one of the best on YouTube. If you'd like to support the making of these videos, please consider supporting me on Patreon. Thank you very much, I will see you next week.